Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And today we are in week 13 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today I'm going to be talking to you about questions 33 and 34. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we have been working our way through the section that focuses on Jesus, which is one of the largest sections in the Catechism. I told you this a couple of weeks ago. Questions number 29 through 52 all deal with who Jesus is and with what Jesus has accomplished. And this section, it takes the statement on Jesus within the Apostles' Creed, and it just goes through the section one phrase at a time in order to understand and explain what we read in that creed. So I'm going to do the same thing I did last week, and I want us to refresh our memories as to what the Apostles' Creed says about Jesus. Here's the section in the creed. It says this, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. Now, that statement, that all the different phrases in that statement, they're, they're all taken from Scripture in very specific ways. And so uh, the creed is just a, a summary statement of and a recapitulation of what the Bible teaches about the person of Christ and the work of Christ. And that's really what we're doing in these few weeks. Um, we're focusing in on who Christ is and what He has accomplished. And so last week in uh, questions 31 uh, and 32, we, we looked at what it means that Jesus is called the Christ and that we are called Christians, uh, which would be little Christ. And we talked about the, the, the root of the term Christ being anointed. We are little anointed ones. And I hope it was helpful for you last week. This week, we're going to be discussing that next phrase, uh, what it means that Jesus is the only begotten Son and our Lord. So let's get into the questions. Question number 33. Why is He called God's only Son when we also are God's children? And here's the answer, and then we'll talk about it. Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, however, are adopted children of God, adopted by grace through Christ. So you see a distinction that Heidelberg is making here. Heidelberg is, is, say, is answering the question about why is Jesus called the only Son, and we, even though we are also God's children, and it breaks it up into the categories of Jesus being the eternal natural Son of God, and we are the adopted children of God, the, the children adopted by grace. Now, of course, we these are terms that we know. These are terms that we use pretty regularly. We understand someone who is naturally born into a family and someone who has been adopted uh, into a family. We, we know that there are great similarities between these two uh, ways of entering into a family. Uh, they're both, whether you're a, an adopted child or a natural-born child, you're both part of the family. Uh, you're both loved and accepted and cared for. You're both entitled to a f the family inheritance, and you both enjoy the relationship to your parents. All of these things are common and synonymous in 
either form of being brought into a particular family. But we also know that there are great differences between a natural-born child and an adopted child. Adopted children were not always part of the family. They had to be made part of the family. By birth, they were part of another family, and for one reason or another, they are no longer part of that family. And that's where adoption comes in. Another family chooses to love them, chooses to bring them home, chooses to care for them and make them part of their own unique family. Okay, so if we carry this analogy uh, over as we think about the difference between Jesus' status as the only natural, eternal Son of God and our status as adopted children of God, there are some things that we need to know. Jesus has always been the Son of His Father. Now, you can look at the, the Christological passages. They're called the Christological passage. Christological simply means the, the study of... Uh, Christ. So the Christological passages, the passages in the New Testament that most specifically focus in on the nature of who Christ is, they, they fall, there's four of them. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, ultimately. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 10. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. And then Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And according to these Christological passages, Jesus has been the Son of God for eternity. There has never been a time in history, uh, there's never been a time ever, that Jesus was not the Son of God. Now here's a quote from uh, Kevin DeYoung's book, The Good News We Almost Forgot, which I've referenced several times along the way. He says this, The sonship of Jesus Christ then is different from ours in that we became the children of God, whereas Jesus has always been God's son. So we became, but Jesus has always been. Jesus was not made the son of God at his incarnation as if some new title or identity was conferred upon him. The Son of God was the Son of the Father even before creation. His, e his Sonship is eternal. Ours is not. And that's the difference. Right? And so as we think about this and we tease this out, Jesus did not become the Son of God by being born to the Father by virtue of Mary. The scriptures say that he was in the beginning with God. He was the agent of creation. He was already the son of the Father. The Father didn't give Jesus life in the same sense in which our natural parents give us life at conception or even at birth. Now, this is mysterious, right? But this is the language that the Bible uses. This is the language that the Bible uses to tell us that Jesus is the one who is one with God. He is co-eternal with God. He is united with God in divine essence, and yet he is unique in his person as the Son of the Father, the only begotten Son of the Father. Now, we, on the other hand, we're, we're not born as children of God. We were actually born in our sin as children of another father. Um, you can make the argument that we're, we're all born as children of Adam, but the scriptures are even going to tell us that we were born not children of God, but children of the devil. According to Ephesians 2, now I want you to read Ephesians 2 before you turn this off because you don't want to listen anymore. Read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and here's what we learn. We are by nature children of wrath. We are, we are born deserving the wrath of God. Why? Because we are... In our sin, we are following the prince of the power of the air. Our lives are being dictated, dominated, devoted to 
this to Satan himself. That's how we are born. And in order to become the children of God, we must be uh, redeemed from that natural born state. We must be adopted. And the Bible tells us that in order for us to be adopted, uh, our adoption has to be ratified by a Savior and a saving act. Um, In Galatians chapter 4, we read this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so there's a lot packed into that phrase. In order for us to be made the children of God, we needed to be ransomed from our natural state of being an enemy of God. We needed a Redeemer to come and pay the price for our freedom. And the price was His blood, and we needed a Father, the Father, to come and accept that ransom and receive us as adopted children. Now that's the difference. Jesus has always been the only begotten Son of God. He never needed to be, um, he was never born to another father. He was never uh, belonging to another uh, divine Godhead or anything like that. He, He never was set apart as an enemy of the Father. He was always one with the Father. He never needed to be redeemed. He never needed to be ransomed. He never needed to be adopted. But we, we needed all of those things. We were in another family enemies of God, and God in His love sent His Son to ransom us. We were redeemed, adopted by the Father, all by faith in the work of Jesus, and therefore now we can be called the children of God. Okay, next question. Question 34. Why do you, or why do we, call Him our Lord. If he is our brother, in the sense that the scriptures tell us we are adopted into the family, we are children like he is a son, then why do we call him our Lord? At least that's what I get to be, uh, take to be the the sense of this question. Uh, And the answer is this because not with gold or silver, but with precious blood, he has set us free from sin and the tyranny of the devil, and he has brought us body and soul to be his very own. So Jesus is our brother. In fact, he calls the disciples brothers and tells them that that's the blessing, that one of the blessings that he's come to bestow upon us, that by faith we become um, sons of the Father. We become the adopted brothers of Jesus and, and sisters of Jesus. And therefore we are, because, because of our adopted status, we are co-heirs with Christ, set to inherit what he is set to inherit. But there's more to it than just that. We call Him Lord. We call Him our Lord. Now the Greek term here, um, well, the the Greek term in the New Testament that generally used to refer to God as Lord and Jesus as Lord is the term kurios, and it means master. I mean, usually uh, when this word is used, it's used in um, a relationship between a master and a slave, and it's used to describe the master. It's used to describe the one who is in position of authority. Uh, but this term, and, and, and it applies to us in that way. We are calling Jesus Lord in that He has authority over us. 
But this term is also used in the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, and it's used to refer to God Himself, not simply because He is in authority over us as God, but because He is simply God. It's like a, it's like a synonym for the term God in many ways. In Exodus chapter 34, when God descended in the cloud to stand before Moses and proclaim His name to Moses, we see this term used. Here's Exodus 34, starting in verse 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. He is Lord, Lord. Now, that's referring to his unique position as God over us. So you can see, at least, Lord can be used in multiple ways. One, in one sense, we call Jesus Lord because he is one with God. In, in another sense, we call Jesus Lord because he is in authority over us. But in another sense, we call him Lord because... God has declared him to be Lord. He is our master, and he has every right to that title in all of those ways because Jesus is the one who gave his life to set us free. Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission to save us, body and soul, and to make us his own. He accomplished our rescue when he laid down his life in our place. Therefore, not only is he Lord in the sense that he is in authority, and not only in the sense that he is God in the flesh, but he is our Lord in the sense that he has purchased us with his blood, and we submit to him as our Savior. Here's another quote from Kevin DeYoung in the book. He says this, Christ, according to Ursinus, uh, can claim lordship over our lives for four reasons. By right of creation, he made us. By right of redemption, he saved us. By reason of preservation, he keeps us. And with respect to ordination and appointment, not our ordination and appointment, but his ordination and appointment, God has declared him to be Lord over all. Jesus' right to rule us as Lord is well-founded in all of these different ways. But he, he also rules as Lord over all creation. Now, we may not see that rule in effect today, but one day we will. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, at the end of the section on who Christ is and what he has accomplished in his sacrificial death, the Bible says this, Therefore, because of what Christ has done, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he's not only our Lord, because he is an authority over us and he is God and he is our Savior, but he is Lord over all by appointment of the Father. I hope this has been helpful to you as we think through this and work through this Heidelberg Catechism today. I appreciate you joining me today to discuss this, and I hope you'll join me again next week as we look at Lord's Day 14 and discuss questions 35 and 36. If you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com 
slash Cornerstone Wiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.